something in, in our community that I feel like has been hanging, you know, over us that that self-diagnosing. And if you do self-diagnostics, well, you probably have some self-medicating as well in terms mm. of substance use or other vices that people may have that kind of lend themselves to becoming, you know, dependent on, on different things to try to cope or make sense of something that they may not truly have a full handle on. Yeah, yeah. One quote that it makes me think about is I, I heard this quote and it said the the true root of all disease is being disconnected from oneself. Welcome to the Legacy and Lifestyle Show, where you'll learn how to live the life you want today while planning for the legacy you want to leave tomorrow. And I'm your host, George Palm, entrepreneur, financial advisor, fitness enthusiast, and foodie. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Legacy and Lifestyle Show. Today, we have a special guest on the show, someone that I've known for quite some time. Uh, He's a licensed professional counselor with 11 years of mental health experience with both adults as well as children. He's a nationally certified counselor with concentrations in marriage and family systems. He is passionate about increasing awareness within the Black community on seeking counseling and the importance of holistic wellness. So with no further ado, Brandon, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well, brother. Thank you for for having me. Thank you for the intro, man. I was listening to that bio. I was like, good grief. I've done a lot of a lot of different things. It's kind of different when you're on this end and you can kind of hear um, you know, your your bio in terms of what your specialties are and things like that. But I'm doing well, man. I really am. I'm excited to be joining today to kind of talk about something that's really, really passionate to me, man. I really am. So thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. And speaking of, of just kind of hearing it on the other end, when I was going through my my own just mental Rolodex on you know what we're going to talk about today. I was like, dude, we've known each other for uh, 12 years, over 12 years at this point. It's crazy because we crossed oh, yeah. each other. Um, so it's just crazy how time flies, man. When I say college days swiftly passed. That's one of the truest things I think I've ever heard. Yep, swiftly passed, man. So yeah, we've known each other for over 12 years. Um, you know, we pledged you know the same fraternity, crossed the same year so we've had a you know probably have a lot of stories that we could share from undergrad but we'll you know we'll we'll, we'll leave that for another conversation <laughs> um, i think but, that's a totally different podcast yeah so we'll say that for another time <laughs> absolutely uh, so i know i gave the gave the formal bio but if you could maybe just in your own words man just you know share with the people you know who you are and what you're all about and you know all that good stuff sure sure um well um as you said i am a licensed professional counselor I'm associate here in the state of uh, North Carolina. Um, I do have a specialty in marriage and family systems. Um, I went to um, undergrad at Winston-Salem State, the Winston-Salem State University. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, where, I, yeah, I had to add the V. I had to add that in there. Make, it makes a big difference. Um, but I uh, majored in rehabilitation studies there, and that's kind of where I started to, the way I like to look at it, cut my teeth, so to speak in getting more aware about uh, mental health and kind of seeing some of the things that was going on in a lot of the uh, uh, lower socioeconomic areas in Winston-Salem doing some mentoring and kind of working with big brothers, big sisters. Um, And so that kind of got me started, I think, in mental health and then transitioned on. I'm doing some case management and intensive in-home, kind of doing more of a community mental health 
approach and working with the school system. And once I kind of got in there, I realized that families as a whole um, was, uh, I, I kind of seen some, some gaps in terms of treatment and what that looked like. So I decided to get my master's um, from North Carolina A&T. Um, and so once I did that um, and got my licensure, um, I've been working for Atrium Health um, as an employee assistance counselor um, for the last little bit here. So just kind of finding my way, man, in terms of um, figuring out this, this mental health world and how to be an, an advocate for it as well as a therapist um, and just trying to identify ways that I can give back, you know, to the, to the profession and not just be a servant within it. Sure, sure. Um, so... Was there any particular thing that made you decide to choose this career path? I know that kind of once you were in it, you mentioned that you saw some gaps and whatnot, but was there anything just initially that was like, you know, this is a, a road that I, I really want to go down? Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that um, working with a lot of court adjudicated youth and adjudicated meaning that they have received some type of charge of, of some sort um, and they are going through the uh, the juvenile justice system. Um, kind of working with that population, I started to see a lot of minority representation um, in various counties throughout North Carolina. I've had the privilege of kind of working uh, with a lot of the, uh, the the juvenile court population there. Being able to kind of work with those families and realizing how highly represented we are um, um, in terms of minorities, but also realizing that the services that are available um, do not necessarily cater to that particular population. Um, so there are services out there and that are being given, but I started to realize that it's not really um, plan specific. Um, it's very general, not a lot of biological or even environmental factors that are taken into account with a lot of these services. And, you know, they kind of looked at me really as like a white knight when I would walk into their homes in terms of, I've never seen you before. Yeah. You know, I've never seen someone who looks the way that you do coming to help me. So I think being able to build that rapport with those families, I really started to hear their stories, I think with a different year, and realizing that if it were not for my family and my upbringing, that I could have been one decision away or choice away from being in the same you know, situation. And, you know, it, it just really kind of hit home with me that I wanted to really work uh, with families. Um, and that family is important to me. I come from a big family, so kind of strengthening that that family system became really, really important to me. So, awesome, awesome. That's good stuff, man. Uh, so, I know for me, the reason why I was excited to do this podcast is, you know, in recent years, it's just becoming new on my radar. But it seems like in recent years, uh, the mental health has been a huge topic of discussion. I feel like more and more you know, celebrities and just different people that are prominent and even just regular everyday people um, are, are dealing with more challenges or maybe even vocalizing more challenges around uh, the area mm -hmm. of mental health. And so I guess I'm mm -hmm. curious when your perspective on, you know, the important, just the general importance of it in our everyday lives and like, what, you know, mm -hmm. what is that, what should that look like for us? And why is it so important to manage our mental health? Um, I think you make a very, a very interesting point, and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit um, when you start mentioning celebrities and the things of that nature. We have the privilege of growing up um, with this social media engine, if you will, um, that I think really puts people's issues more at the forefront. We kind of have more of a connection to see what it is that people are dealing with and kind of, and, and kind of going through. And so I feel that a lot more people, I think counseling services, mental health awareness, I think used to be really, really taboo. 
Um, and I think that as I've come through the field, I'm starting to realize that more people are a little more comfortable now um, being able to identify that they are going through uh, different things, whether it's, you know, anxiety or, you know, generalized anxiety or adjustment disorders, depression, all of these things and terms that we've heard for a long time. But I think being able to put a face with those issues um, and people who look like you, everyday people, people who do have, you know, access to resources that maybe you don't have, but they are going through and battling with the same demons that a lot of people you know, are kind of dealing with, I think it's kind of made people more comfortable. I think our generation specifically, uh, we're, we're all about movements. And I think being able to get behind uh, mental health advocates and, and seeing these stories, I think more people are, are, are kind of, you know, less hesitant to acknowledge that, yes, I do have mental health issues or there's something not quite right in my wellness. And I think more people are a lot more comfortable now than definitely say, even, even 10, 15 years ago, I think we've really come a long way with research in terms of knowing what is going on, what's out there, and services that are, you know, applicable to, you know, different people. I think it's really kind of made, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of segue, but we also have a long way to go, I think, in encouraging that people utilize these services um, and are, you know, doing their due diligence in terms of their overall wellness. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense, man. And I'm just so glad there's people like you who are advocating for this stuff because it's so it's so necessary um that being said even though it is becoming more talked about and more and more people are becoming aware of these issues can you break down uh, some of the common types of mental health issues that you know people deal with and i know you know it's it's pro probably pretty vast but just some that maybe we can wrap our head around Sure, sure. No, um, I would say a lot of times, and you know, the the mental health world and the the different diagnoses um, that people can have. I mean, it's broad. I mean, when you really think of it, there's a lot of common things that we may do in our everyday life that clinically could have a particular diagnosis, if in some way that it is impacting, you know, your overall wellness or somehow impacting your your well-being. Um, a lot of the things that uh, come to mind right off the right off the top is more your your generalized anxiety uh, people there's a, a huge population of people who in general deal with um, anxiety um, whether that's you know not just the normative of speaking in front of crowds but literally just being anxious about the next day um, anxious about things at work or anxious about things that um, at home to the point that it may actually call physical response um, mental um, responses to being anxious about certain things um, you could take your typical college student. You and I both went to um, respective institutions and separated from our family of origins. You have a lot of college students who um, are often diagnosed very early in their collegiate career with adjustment disorder, um, generalized adjustment disorder, just in terms of being away from home, um, life events that can be very impactful, um, and how to navigate through um, this new environment with new people and new social norms and, and, and expectations. Um, we also have, you know, generalized depression. Um, there are different forms of depression, and depression is one of the things that you hear kind of tossed around, I think, a lot in terms of, oh, this person must be depressed, or they're dealing with this particular thing, so they must be, you know, exhibiting, you know, depressive symptoms, but there's layers to, you know, depression. You could be mildly depressed, you could be severely depressed. There are different layers to a lot of these diagnoses, but I think those are just some of the ones that a lot of people, you know, may be more 
you know, familiar with as some of your obsessive compulsive disorders, um, people who may constantly clean things or people who may constantly go back and check to see if their doors are locked and things like that. I think those are some more of the of the common ones that people may be very, um, very familiar with. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. I just wanted to do a highlight that a little bit because I know some people may not even even be familiar with you know those terms or to your point mm-hmm. there's, there's different layers to it and understanding that the importance of getting help so that you can really quantify and understand what you're going what's going on with you versus just assuming if I feel like this I probably have <clears throat> depression right but what's like what does that really look like um, right like what what does that look like you know specifically for you yeah. you know based off those symptoms and um, another one that kind of came to mind when you were when you had mentioned celebrities um, and things of that nature, we kind of live in a generation that a lot of developmental theorists um, are calling us generation me because we have all of this access to Instagram, and Facebook, and all of these outlets, um, Snapchat, where it's a constant showing of whatever it is you want, you know, whatever it is that you want to share, you know, with people, family, pictures, what it is that you're doing, your job, all types of things. So a lot of theorists have coined that as we're a part of Generation B. And so there's a lot of talk um, clinically, and I hear this one tossed around a lot, narcissism. Um, You can, you know, and you're probably familiar with just that term. A lot of people may say, oh, well, this person is a narcissist because they, you know, maybe into themselves are very boastful or very, um, you know, you know, those types of things. And people don't, a lot of people don't realize that being a narcissist is actually a clinical diagnosis. Mm. Like that is and that is something that, you know, when we toss it around and say, you know, a lot of people say that about Kanye West, just to kind of use as an example, that he is somebody who, you know, displays a lot of narcissism. But people don't realize that from a, a mental health standpoint, that is a true clinical diagnosis um, for someone. And a lot of people aren't even really aware of that. The same for um, one of the ones I heard always coming up was um, uh, this person may be. Um, antisocial mm-hmm. just because they're not talking and people don't realize how clinically off that is in terms of saying that a person is antisocial because they're choosing to be a loner or is not very socially active when actually there's a lot more to being antisocial just in terms from a diagnostic standpoint and a lot of people aren't even aware that being antisocial is a diagnosis and doesn't just surround itself around somebody who's not engaging in social activities there's so much more to it yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense even in my my field right um like i always tell people it's called personal finance for a reason because everybody's financial situation is unique right and so similar mm-hmm. to the mental health space where we can't make sweeping generalizations and think that it's universally applicable to everybody like you really got to right. understand um how how it plays out in your life specifically uh, so my next question is uh is there is there anything, and I know this is probably hard to answer kind of broadly, but what types of things can typically trigger some of those common issues? Are we able to kind of dive, dive into that a little bit? Just like some of some common triggers uh, for like your you know, typical mental health issues? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I think uh, one place that I would start um, is genetics. Um, a lot of people are not as fully aware the impact of what um, your genetics um, say about um, your your mental health. Um, in in fact, um, there is a a lot of research on um, 
literally stress and stressors that are uh, generationally passed down um, to to offspring and through histories of lineage of different families. So definitely genetics play a role. Um, I'm sure we'll probably tap into this a little bit later on, but I have seen a lot of the things that you talked about in terms of generational wealth um, and being able to kind of uh, get in that cycle or, you know, being a part of a, of a cycle in terms of building a legacy um, for yourself and for your family from a financial standpoint. And there is a lot of correlation in that in terms of um, a lot of the, the biological factors that generationally the same way finances or how someone uses their finances can be passed down the same way um, that how somebody deals with stress can truly be um, hereditary. Um, so there are some environmental factors included in that as well that can be a trigger. Um, one really big hot topic uh, word um, is trauma. Um, you have a lot of people who have been through um, a lot of different things from a very early age. And so when I use the word trauma, I wanna explain just a little bit that trauma in its, in its true form, especially if something starts early in development, literally from infancy on through, you know, early elementary age, the impact of trauma really changes the shape of your brain. Mm. And I don't know that people are as, as aware of the impact that going through something traumatic um, can have on a person who is still developing. So we have a lot of people who have went through traumatic um, instances and carry that emotional backpack with them throughout their, um, on through their adult life. And that can be a trigger being placed back into a situation that, you know, taps into that, that traumatic episode for you. Um, it's something definitely that can trigger it. Um, um, being in certain environments um, with, with uh, certain, certain individuals certainly can do it. Um, also just kind of, um, we had talked about like adjustment disorders and things like that. There are life events um, that a lot of us go through that can really trigger um, um, certain, di uh, not diagnosis, but certain mental health issues that you may not even be aware that you do have. And so looking at that from an example standpoint, grief, um, that's something that is, happens around, around us all, all the time. Um, it's something that as a therapist, I've worked with quite a bit and have had to educate myself a little bit more on in terms of what grief looks like, how it impacts um, different people. Uh, people who get married, that's an adjustment as well. Um, having children, there's a lot of different factors that can trigger a, 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 um, a mental health um, 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 issue that you may not have or either one that you have had that is now exacerbated by uh, some of the different things that you may be going through, for sure. I appreciate mm -hmm. you unpacking that a little bit for us to understand Absolutely. those those triggers can be so that we can, again, not get into a space where we're trying to self-diagnose, but at least we can have a heightened level of awareness around, okay, being in this space makes me, you know, feel this kind of way or, you know, whatever the different thing may be, because then you can ideally put yourself in a position to try to proactively, you know, circumvent some of this stuff, or at least know, know right. what it looks like when it shows up. Uh, I heard this. Right. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That, I was saying that, that's a very interesting point that you mentioned, though, self-diagnosing. A lot of people do do that, especially culturally. Um, I have to definitely speak to, you know, the, the African-American community. We are, um, being, being a member of it, we are very big on that, self-diagnosing. We come from, you know, the, the, the Black church and the role of the Black church, as well as, you know, the role of our 
of our extended family, grandma, auntie, you know, cousins, and, and so forth. We we do a lot of that 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 self-diagnosing because as a community, as a, as a collective community, you know, being identifying that there's something wrong that perhaps can't be healed in the church or in prayer um, is one of the big reasons that in our community, counseling has been taboo or mental health as a conversation um, has been so taboo. We, we explained it through generations in different ways. You know, we, we, we found a way to make that something that you could talk about, you know, at a cookout in a more playful way. Oh, that's just your crazy aunt so-and-so mm-hmm. or that's your crazy uncle so-and-so. And you, you we grow up, you know, hearing these things that we just, you know, adapted. And, yeah, I guess so. that person was a little off or a little weird now that I think back to it, but not really knowing the, the full, you know, identity of what it is that they might have been dealing with. But that's, that's something in, in our community that I feel like has been hanging you know, over us that that self-diagnosing, and if you do self-diagnostics, well, you probably have some self-medicating as well in terms mm. of substance use or other vices that people may have that kind of lend themselves to becoming, you know, dependent on on different things to try to cope or make sense of something that they may not truly have a full handle on. Yeah, yeah. One quote that I, it makes me think about is I, I heard this quote and it said the the true root of all disease is being disconnected from oneself, right? Mm-hmm. And what, mm-hmm. I, what I take from that is self-awareness, yeah. right? It's like really being in tune with who you are, not ignoring, even I think about it from a physical standpoint, not a mental standpoint. Like, you know, you get to a place where you just accept like, oh, my toe is just always hurt. That is what it's going to be. Or, oh, I got this little pinch in my shoulder. But maybe it doesn't have to always be that way. Maybe you can get it checked out and really identify and understand what's going on so that, one, you can no longer be hurting. Or, or two, you know, just uh, figure out the root cause of it so that it doesn't, you know, expand into something worse, right? And I think the same is true to be said about mental health, right? Like, don't ignore those times when it's really hard for you to get going or when you're feeling sad for no reason or whatever it is, like really embrace that, step into that. Um, try to understand, you know, you know, to a reasonable degree, where were you when this, this thought originated? And, you know, once you've kind of reached reach your own wits in, you know, being okay, seeking help, you know, reaching out to someone who can help you understand what's going on. But when we just kind of brush stuff off, like it just, it, it doesn't go away. Like it's almost like the, and I was never a really big video game guy, but it's like, there was this one game I used to play Zelda growing up. And one of the <laughs> oh yeah. yeah Nintendo so, days. Exactly. Uh we both telling our age right now. But um A little bit, a yeah. little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, but I saw the challenge though. So you know, we looking good, you know what I'm saying? We we, we black don't crack. We get we we're still continuing to elevate, I'm, so it's all good. Hey um, man, I'm I'm trying, man. I, I I think I need to get with you on some just as as a part of my my 2019. I, I said I wasn't doing resolutions. I wanted to do intentions. I I got to get with you in that gym, man, because you 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 killing it. So I need hey, I need to really I got to get in there, man. That's where I need to be to kind of extend my wellness. You know, as far as a, you know my mental health and my 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 emotional health, but that 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 physical piece it, it all works it all works on one wheel, man. Absolutely, bro. With you. Absolutely, bro. We can definitely make that happen. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, Zelda. So one of the things I like about those types of games is that you can't progress to the next level until you beat the, the boss that you're, that's on the first level or the previous level, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that is how I feel about life. It's like we might think that we're progressing. We might think that we're moving on. We don't, if we don't deal with that situation, that trauma, those things, like it's going to show back up. 
and it might show up in a different show up in a different way. It might show up in a worse way, but it's it's going to continue to show up until you address it. Another thing that because um, I, I live and die by analogies. Um, another thing that really hits home for me also is my cell phone. My wife can tell you my cell phone dies all the time. And for the longest, I just mm-hmm. thought it was because, you know, well, I really don't be charging it, whatever. What I realized is that I had about like 74 apps that were going in the background that I wasn't using, but that just were running in the background and it was draining the energy on my, on my cell phone. And I feel like the same holds true for our mental health. Like there's things that are left unaddressed. Mm. Like we're not necessarily dealing with it head on on a day-to-day basis. It's not on our calendar or on or our agenda. So we assume that it's not having any real impact, but it's running in the background and it is, wow. it is draining you. It is having an impact on you that you can't even see, which is very dangerous and scary because it's not at the forefront. So then it's like, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? And you can't pinpoint it. And that makes it even more challenging. And so I think it's just so important to have these dialogues and understand that it's okay to have conversations about mental health, which I love. Um, uh, God, I think, I think you know him too, uh, Rashawn, who's a really big advocate in, in the mental health space, right? Just making this conversation mm-hmm. more and more normal. So I just wanted to, I know that was a, a bit of a tangent, but some of the things that you were saying, uh, it, really, it really hit home for me. So this is... Um, a completely left field, but relevant at the same time. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned like the, the black church and, you know, how we deal with things. And I remember growing up, like just hearing, just hearing stuff like, you know, oh, we don't therapies for white people or, you know, we got, you got, Absolutely. you got something going <clears throat> on. Just, you know, just go to sleep or just pray about it. like, oh, you want me to sleep off my, my, you know, right. my trauma. Like, right. no, it's like, that's not right. work. Um, and so what it then immediately made me think about is my wife convinced me. Uh, to to sit down and actually watch the the whole R. Kelly debacle, right? Mm. It's like mm-hmm. um, I I just wonder, like, and and they unpacked it a little bit in the documentary, but like obviously he caused a lot of trauma and a lot of issues to a lot of people. But again, that stemmed from things that happened to him that weren't addressed, and then it showed up in other ways. So if you could kind of just in your from your perspective. I'm not sure if you saw the documentary or not, but conceptually, you know, mm-hmm. some of the things that he's done, um, like mm-hmm. just unpacking the reality of like when you don't deal with those things, you know, what, what happens and how that shows up and what that looks like. No, I think that's, that's spot on. And I think, uh, I think R. Kelly is a very relevant example. Um, people are talking about him everywhere. Um, <clears throat> and so when you kind of take a step back and a lot of my friends actually did call with me and they were like, Hey, so what would you diagnose Robert with? So everybody's calling him Robert. Now I guess everybody's kind of let the R go, you know, everybody's just kind of calling him Robert. They were like, yeah, so how, how would you look at his situation? How would you, you know, um, just kind of having that, that, that experience in that field. And I, I think really when you take a step back at it and, you know, I identify what happened to him, as it was reported in that documentary, my wife and I did have a chance to to watch that. And I mean, it was it was eye opening. Um, and I think that's putting it mildly, really, um, just in terms of a lot of what was shared about his <clears throat> his personal life. And when you have a child, and then, and again, going back to trauma, as I shared earlier in our discussion, I mean, you're talking about something that really changes the shape of your brain, literally. And and you're you're talking a young a young child who's developing not aware, um, certainly of, of, 
of uh, things of, of, of a sexual nature or their body parts or what it is exactly that they do to put him in that, in that, in that situation um, to really take advantage of a child um, in that way. I mean, you really can set a child back in their development um, in ways that they are experiencing things that they're not mentally ready to deal with yet. They're not, they're not ready to tap into what's happening to me. And one of the words that was coming up in that documentary was the word power. And I mean, sex by all you know, accounts of the, of the word can be a very powerful tool, it is a powerful tool to hold over someone or to use in, in a dynamic. And so when you look at what he went through, I mean, he, you know, became, you know, a victim. You know, and a lot of people may not want to hear that or, or acknowledge that, but he is a victim as well. And I think that's a lot of the, the, the conversation, you know, has, has been about that, that there's not been a lot of empathy for someone, you know, who has went through what he's went through as well. And a lot of victims, you know, become abusers, you know, or you can have victims who become more susceptible to being victimized again, you know, later on throughout their their, their life. And so for somebody like Robert, there was a power dynamic that was uh, put over him in a, in, a, in a sexual context. And he, by all accounts, based on what we've seen in that documentary, now became the individual who decided, perhaps, I don't want to be victimized again. So I'm going to be the person who controls the narrative, who now controls how people come in and out of my life, what you do for me. Uh, I'm in control because there was a point in my life where I didn't have power to say what was being done to me or how this was making me feel. And he probably um, internalized that, no doubt, in terms of being a victim and then became an abuser and a very per a person who was very controlling in nature um, and, and sexually acting out all of these different um, things that he was, you know, either visually seeing or, you know, having done to him at a very, you know, early age. And he probably, that was his way of coping. And, and masking what it is that he's been through, because if you really think about it, you haven't heard him discuss that, you know, at length in terms of, you know, what he's been through or the impact that that may, you know, have, have had on him. And so I'm one of the individuals as an advocate who, you know, not condoning in any way, shape or form, you know, what he what he's done and the impact that he's had on the, the, the people's lives that he's been a part of. But there has to be some nature of the conversation that says, that as a community, he needs help too. You know, that, that there has to be some piece of that that says, um, regardless of, you know, his, his, his uh, transgressions and the things he has, you know, done to other people, this is an individual who still needs treatment. You know, this is an individual who still, you know, needs help. And we have to treat not only those who have been victimized, but we have to treat the abusers as well. Because if you don't, you're talking about a cycle you know, for somebody like Robert or, you know, just in, in the normative sense, people, there are women who are going through this right now. As you and I are sitting here having this conversation, it, these things are occurring minute by minute, you know, second by second, and they don't have a voice. He just happens to be famous, you know, somebody who we all recognize. But, you know, just imagine only treating one side of that story mm. that, that, that that's kind of, you know, perpetuating for somebody else to continue to exude the same type of behavior if you don't intervene, if you don't discuss 
what trauma is and the, and the impact that is that it's had on him. Now, there's obviously some personal responsibility there that he has to own and take and be accountable for that. But a lot of the 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 things that I've seen were people who were just joining, you know, what I call the, the social media lynching of him because of how it was, you know, presented and to each his own. But we have to be very careful when we're talking about mental health and being mindful to not outcast or treat, you know, the the abusers as if they don't deserve help or as if they are not deserving of treatment. And that's probably one of the things that that narrative that I, I'm just not a big fan of. You know, you can have your opinion on what he did and how he you know, uh, you know, uh, expressed himself in those ways, but let's really look at, at another layer to that, that he is still a person who still deserves some level of treatment and obviously has some things going on that he never worked through. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's a, a, a very well-rounded and thoughtful perspective because it's very easy to just say, R. Kelly's a monster, and to you know, and to their point, right? Yeah, you know, he has to own up to everything that he did, regardless of the circumstance. Um, but mm-hmm. we have to un- understand the underlying root. And the thing that I really took away from the documentary, above all, is well, there were so many things. But one thing that I took away is just that accountability, right? There were grown mm-hmm. men and women around him who didn't have, you know, by all accounts, at least from our understanding, any any mental health issues to his extent, at least. And, and allowed that to go on without <clears throat> at what point do we say, you know, oh, that's just our killer. He got, he liked, you know, he likes the young girls or whatever it is. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that complicity across the board is what was shocking to me because it's pretty hard not to like to be aware or be in tune with what you're doing when everybody around you is, you know, subconsciously co-signing on it, right. By not stepping up mm-hmm. and saying that it's wrong. Like it's pretty hard not to, especially when you're in, in a state where you, don't necessarily have complete control of your actions and your thoughts. And so that, for me, that was just mind boggling on the level of complicity of so many people around him, whether it was because, you know, they were on payroll and they didn't want to, you know, lose a job or whatever it was that, Mm -hmm. that was really, really shocking to me, which just goes back to from a community and cultural perspective. Like we have to absolutely step up. Like we have to step up. We can't step up 15, 20 years later. And now, and now I want to talk about it. It's like, I mean, yes, I'm glad the conversation is being had, and there's being light that's being shed on it. But it's like some of these things could have probably went a completely different way if we addressed them for what they were, right? And, ha- and right. especially when you have people around you, it's one thing to not have access or have people around you and you don't know and you're suffering in silence and it's not you know, showing up in certain ways for people to even connect the dots that something's wrong. But anybody mm-hmm. with any level of common sense, they might have not been able to clinically diagnose R. Kelly, but they know something was off. Sure. And at what point do yeah. you not step up, you know, and say something about it? Right. And I think you you highlighted a very another important piece. There's no way to look at the lens um of mental health and not have a cultural context for it. Um the the, the cultural context is so important to acknowledge that if I recall correctly from the the, the documentary there was uh, his brother acknowledged that it happened to him too. And I believe that R. Kelly's response was, no, it didn't. You know, that that didn't happen. There's so much within our community, within the African-American community, there's so much secrecy um, in terms of uh, trauma and families that have gone through this for a generation, um, not sharing that. You know, we don't, I I remember even, um, you know, my mom said, you know, we we don't tell our business. 
you know, you don't you you don't let people know, you know, what's going on, you know, in your home. That was like a that was a norm. You know, that was like a social that was a norm in my home that, you know, we don't talk about what happens in our home outside of those walls. And that just didn't start with me. You know, that that's something that was passed down. So when you look at the generational impact of trauma and I don't again highlighting that I don't know that people really truly fully grasp the fact that trauma can be generational that it really can be passed down from family to family and this cycle continues and we operate um you know with our offspring in terms of not having that open door policy that when our children come to you know talk to us about certain things we may you know there's a lot of shame and guilt you know, that goes along with someone who's been abused or someone who is a victim. And so a lot of the victims that, you know, that have now come forth, you can even see it. There was a lot of shame and guilt. They don't feel that they have a voice that's that's powerful or more powerful than who he is as a person mm. to, to shed light on this happened to me. This happened to me, and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen to other people. That's very common, whether you're a person who, you know, is of success and fame or just, you know, a, a, just a regular individual. There's so much shame and guilt that goes along with that. And even him as, a, as, a, as you know, being a victim as well, there's a lot of shame and guilt that he probably has carried, you know, for years that has yeah. not been addressed, that has not been, you know, tapped into. And then going back again into that culture, I chose a person who's close to me to share that this happened to me and there's no acknowledgement of it. Right. There's no, you know, confirmation that you're even validating that I'm telling you that I have been touched in, in an inappropriate way. And the yeah. impact that that probably had even on his brother that he said, you know, I think somebody, did, if, if my brother doesn't believe me, well, I'm certainly not going to tell an adult. Yep. Yep. And you hit on a very important point um, that makes me think about a couple of things. You said that trauma can be passed down from generation to mm -hmm. generation. And so mm -hmm. here, you know, given our, our culture some, some credit and leniency, I think that a lot of this, we go back as, as far as slavery, right? Like, you know, we saw that, you know, the, the slave master, whoever, you know, would, you know, mess with, you know, um, some of the slaves and what that looks like and, and not being able to say anything about that. And then that, that's a form of secrecy. But in that era, right, it's more about survival. So we're not talking about it. We're not vocalizing it because we literally don't have the time to. Like we're trying to, we're, we're just trying to stay above water, right, with our life. And so we don't have time to address like the, these things and these traumas that are happening to us, happening to us, you know, in real time. But I think what happens is now, while we still deal with a lot of things culturally, we're, we're, we're not in that type of slavery, right? We have some issues that we can see, continue to have to work through as a society. It's vastly different from, you know, being, you know, you know, chained up and beaten on a daily basis. But what I think happens is the mentality around survival and what that looks like has been passed down, right? And so it's like, mm -hmm. we don't talk about these things because, well, one, back then we didn't have time to we had to spend all our energy on just trying to just trying to survive whereas now mm -hmm. it's, it's you know somewhat of a different landscape and we have to address those things because i almost look at it like i think tony robbins puts it as you know there was a point in time where you know all we had to deal all we had to deal with is fight or flight right like you had you, you in the, the midst of the jungle or whatever trying to you know fend for yourself against a saber-toothed tiger well that's not our today's reality but the brain by and large hasn't evolved um you know that much since that time period and so now the traumas that we deal with 
Um, we're kind of treating it with that same level of that same mechanism of survival when we don't realize mm-hmm. that we have the luxury now of being able to voice and deal with those traumas because we're not just in this fight or flight mode. But I think our brain um, hasn't been conditioned or hasn't evolved with the time. And I think, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a mouthful and maybe I didn't do the best job of articulating it, but I think that that plays a very big part into it too. Like understanding that <clears throat> we absolutely have some things that we still need to work through um, as, a, as a society and a, as a culture, the landscape is way different. And if we don't address the fact that, you know, we have the time and we have, and it's a necessity to be able to address these mental health issues, we'll continue mm-hmm. to pass this stuff on from generation to generation to generation. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I think you, I think you did articulate a lot of really good, a lot of really good points. And, you know, speaking as a, as a, as a practicing clinician, I mean, one of the things that I see on a regular basis is people who are in survival mode, you know, whether that's emotionally, um, physically, <clears throat> there are a lot of people who in this day and time are really in survival mode. And some of them, you know, to their credit, and I, I will say that it, it being that vulnerable, and I think being open um, to uh, the, the philosophy of, of counseling, per se, or going and seeking out treatment is a very vulnerable thing for a lot of people to do, um, being able to sit across from someone, perhaps, and share what's going on with you in hopes that they are able to conceptualize it in some way and, and, and help you. You know, so I think it's like I said, it's not as taboo as as it once was. You do have a lot of people, you know, who are seeking, you know, services. But then there's also, you know, the landscape of knowing where these services are, um, the the availability of the resources, being able to afford these resources. That's one of the main reasons a lot of people don't seek um, this type of treatment because they can't afford it. Um, and insurance and, and all types of things play such a role in that you know, being able to, you know, identify something that's affordable. You have families, a lot of people, you know, who are living paycheck to paycheck and are doing the best they can within that, operating within that realm um, and then dealing with everyday stressors um, and, and, and life stressors and other life events and trying to maintain and just survive. And they can't conceivably think, well, I'm going to go to the doctor or I'm going to see someone um, and now I have to pay for that too. You're telling me I have to go and, you know, to, to get treated or to, to achieve some, some improvement in what's going on with me, I now have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people shy away from those resources because they can't afford it. And then, you know, when you really kind of step back and, and look at that, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis, I think, on a lot of different things as a society, um, as a culture, you know, however you choose to, to break it down, but the emphasis on your mental health and your and your wellness, that should be something that's affordable. The same way, you know, our, our, our health care. You know, these are areas that are, and I, and I hate that it happens this way, but mental health doesn't get the platform that it deserves um, from a legislative standpoint until something happens, until there's a school shooting, until there's, you know, um, a mass shooting or, or the incident when the guy walked into the church in Charleston. I mean, when those things happen, then people say, oh, this is a problem. Mental health, mental awareness, these, mental health awareness, these things have to be discussed at length. We need to pass bills. We need to do psychiatric evaluations and all of these types of things. But once time passes from those incidents, the conversation goes dead. 
I mean, it really does lose its, its, its push. But the first time that happens, the first thing people who have no true realm of, of what's going on, if a person does something like that, they say, oh, he must have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But, but we, don't, we don't spend enough time at our schools with our children. Um, the, the incident, I believe, that happened, um, I want to say that was at a local high school in Charlotte, where you know um, a kid was killed, you know, not not, not too long ago because a mm-hmm. gun was brought into school and bullying, yep. and things of that nature. When you really look at that, you know, I grew up in an era where you you had to know how to crack jokes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I came up in a time where cracking jokes got you tough skin, and now we live in an era where these kids have so much access to each other, and 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 self esteem is is is. is so important and what you have and what you don't have and, and bullying and all of those types of things, it has a different impact on kids today that it didn't have as much or we didn't hear about it as much because we didn't have this 24-7 around the clock news to report that these things are happening. And I think if we can report that these things are happening and start having these conversations at our barbershops and with our friends, our frat brothers, our wives, you know, we have to push these conversations into our community because what I find is that when you get people in a room, they'll talk about it. You know, they, they, they really will open up to feeling like I'm amongst family. I'm, I'm amongst people who are dealing with, you know, what it is that, that I'm dealing with. So I feel more, you know, up to, to share these, these, these types of things. And I think that the more we give people seeking services, we have to highlight where these services are. We have to highlight that there are affordable um, services out there for people who want to be helped. You know, these things are out there. It's not a perfect system. It's not a perfect structure, but these things are out there. And I think a lot of people are doing just what you said, and they're just surviving. They're just, what can I do to get through to the next day? And yeah. that becomes their norm. That becomes their routine. How can I get through today? That's all I want to do. Yep. Yep. And that, and that brings up uh, to, <clears throat> to my next point is a perfect segue um, that, that, perpetual state of survival and um to that end you actually made me look realize that it's a, a two-fold challenge right i didn't even think about the aspect that from a financial perspective you know not being able to simply afford right the help or having to decide between do i want to pay for that or do i want to you know pay this bill of course do i, I want to keep my bills exactly exactly i want to keep my lights on you know yeah and so I didn't even I didn't even look at it from that vantage point, but that bring that that actually makes it even more relevant. Um, but my my next point was going to be around, um, you know, getting your perspective on, you know, how struggling financially. And it was again aside from your initial point, and I think you maybe have already touched on it, but how struggling financially impacts you know your mental health, right? Because I feel like it <clears throat> does put you in that perpetual state of like survival and just stress and like the anxiety of the first of the month coming and not knowing if I'm gonna have enough money for the rent or for the mortgage. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. curious to know, like, do you agree that there is a connection there between your financial wherewithal or lack thereof and mental health? Absolutely. I think there is a, um, a definite correlation, um, in terms of your, your, uh, your financial, um, uh, where you are financially and possibly being in debt, thing, things of that nature, and your 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 mental health. Um, I think that they fuel one another in a lot of ways. Um, for instance, just kind of looking at, you know, someone who's in debt, and that could be a small business owner. That could be, 
you know, a regular Joe who, you know, has a, <clears throat> you know, um, a loan out or, you know, a college loan or something of that nature. Um, I think those things definitely increase your chance of, of, of mental health um, issues per se um, because of stress, you know, kind of using the, the example that, that you use, um, someone who is the first of the month and every first of the month, you have to ask yourself the same question. How am I going to pay for this? I always remember my uh, my um, my aunt saying, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, mm-hmm. you know, t- trying to spread my finances out as, as, as much as I can. Um, that's that's very um, heavy on someone that every month I have to figure out, you know, how I'm going to make it. How am I surviving? Uh, and again, that paycheck to paycheck cycle, you have people who live in constant stress because their life is based on the next two weeks, two weeks until I get this money to take care of this. You have a lot of individuals who are working just for, just to work. You know, they're not able to enjoy a lot of the, you know, amenities that may come from perhaps financial freedom or, or, or things of, of that nature, which that's not to say that that will be everyone's story. But the reality is, is that, you know, people who do have those issues are more at risk to have some type of uh, mental health um, issue or be diagnosed. Uh, with something such as depression or, or, or anxiety, or for the people who already had a diagnosis, being struggling financially is very highly, um, very highly likely to exacerbate those symptoms um, into um, one of the uh, diagnoses that comes to mind. And we, again, this is another one that's kind of thrown out there quite often as being uh, uh, having bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, a lot of people mention that in the sense that if you have a person who appears one way and then the next day they're this way, I've heard people very casually say, man, you, you act bipolar with no true assessment of exactly what that means other than what they think it And Mm -hmm. so, you know, bipolar disorder, it is a brain disorder that is characterized by a lot of drastic shifts in moods and your and your and your energy level. And people who do have that diagnosis can go through very, you know, periods of very extreme highs, but also very extreme lows. So let's say you had a person who, um, you know, is diagnosed with, you know, bipolar disorder and they're in what we would call a manic state or they're going through mania. That person could just as easily go into a store and spend every dime that they have. Mm. They could literally walk into a store because they, they're more likely to engage in risky behavior. So they spend in an attempt to make them feel better or they overspend in an attempt to, to kind of supplement that high. They're on this, this extreme high and may not realize the ramifications of what they've done until they come down from it. So, you know, you have people who live with this on a regular basis that their finances are not where they want them to be or debt is, you know, surmounting them and covering them and they're doing the best that, that they can to operate in spite of that. And that's very stressful to have on you on a regular basis. Like, how can I pay my bills? Or one common thing I know that, you know, a lot of people do is um, you may pay one particular bill, but you may put only a certain amount on it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I'm guilty of that. I've done that before myself. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I've never done that. But the reality of that is, is that people get into habits of doing that and don't realize the extra stress that they're creating for themselves even later on down the road. Yep. And that's still a debt that still exists for you. You know what I mean? And so I think a, a lot of the, the the financial piece of that is, you know, and even for people who do have resources, 
you know, they're not, a, they're not, um, you know, benign to it, so to speak. Like they, people who have, a, you know, more uh, larger amounts of money than, than the norm, they're at risk for these mental health issues as well because they do have access, because they do have financial, you know, resources. You know, they're, they're just as likely at risk even having more money. And I think people realize, well, you know, if I don't have money, then I'm going to be stressed. No, you can have money and still be stressed. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you can conceivably on the outside have all of these assets and resources, but maintaining that lifestyle and keeping, keeping that up is just as stressful and, you know, can also kind of drive people to looking at other ways to, 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 to cope with that, you know, using substance and drug dependence and things of that nature. So there definitely is, I hope I answered that, um, there definitely is a relation to your 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 financial um, stability and your 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 mental health, it's, they they definitely work together for sure. I, I couldn't agree uh, any more than what you said. You you hit the nail on the head. That was a, a great way to uh, tie that together and articulate. And so, kind of one of my last points here is we we talked about you know the financial piece um, being twofold, right? Um, in the sense that there there might be the reality that someone doesn't even explore out of out of the fact that they can't afford it or don't have the right insurance or whatever the case may be. Um, and then also um, maybe they're just not at a place where they're willing to be that vulnerable um, with anyone else just yet. Right. But maybe they, mm-hmm. they are at a place where they know, okay, I got to start engaging in this. I got to start, you know, doing something for my mental health. Um, what are some practical tips that we all can use to improve and manage our mental health on a regular basis? Um, well, I mean, I, I would be remiss if being a, um, a therapist, if I didn't, you know, say, you know, go see a therapist. I mean, plain and simple, go see one, try that, try that, um, that, 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 that experience out. Um, one of the things that I encourage a lot of my friends and family members and whoever else that may ask me, um, you know, is I think it's imperative. I, I, I'm an example person. I know you use a lot of analogies. Um, and I'm an example person as a, as, a, as a clinician. And one of the things I like it to do is a realignment. Um, the same way if your car, you know, you're, you're driving your, your, your vehicle. And if you can't leave your steering wheel in the middle and it's going to the left or it's going to the right, um, that tells you that you need a realignment. You know, the same way in a vehicle that you have lights that come on that tell you, I need air pressure. Um, I need an oil change. Um, I need to get something fixed. I need something replaced in my vehicle. We depend on our vehicles to get us from A to B safely every day. And we put a lot of wear and tear on those vehicles where your body is really the same way. The, the biggest difference is that you can't trade you in. You know, there, 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 there is no, no trade-in for you. There is no value for you. But if your lights come on and you ignore them, that means that the problem gets worse. Mm. You know, and, and I really encourage people to really give counseling a try. Um, one of the important pieces of identifying, um, you know, uh, that that's something that you can do is cultivating a relationship. I encourage people and tell them all the time, just because you tried a therapist, you know, if that didn't work for you, try another one because there is one out there that will fit your needs and you'll have a relationship. That's one of the things I pride myself on as a clinician is that it's important to me to cultivate a relationship. Like we have to build rapport. If I if I'm not giving you that that open 
door to build rapport with me, I've already lost in my mind in terms of what that relationship from a therapeutic sense can actually look like. So I'm a very big, big proponent of going um, to try therapy, give it, you know, give it a try, do the research in terms of finding someone that you feel that you could sit, you know, um, across from. There are tons of websites and things that can point you in the, in the, in the right direction to find somebody fit, you know, exactly what it is that, that, that you need. Um, also, on the flip side of that, you know, I really try to encourage people to, you know, talk to your doctors, talk to your primary care physicians as well, just in terms of certain symptoms or things that, you know, you, you may be feeling. A lot of people are very reluctant to do that because of the fear of being placed on medication. And I know that that was something we I didn't touch on as much, but that's something that's very high amongst a lot of different groups and populations that I work with. They have a fear that I have to take something that I'm now going to be labeled um, because I'm taking, you know, a, a mood stabilizer or some type of, in, you know, inhibitor to, to help with the chemicals that's going on in my brain. A lot of people are very reluctant to, to do those, those types of things, but um, kind of going to where you were in a, in, a, in a more practical sense, but diet is huge. And I'm sure to you and, and, and your wife, I've kind of followed you guys with a lot of the different diets and things that you guys have tried. It's imperative. You know, the, the saying is you are what you eat is true. That's very elementary in terms of concept, but a lot of the things that we put into, you know, our, our bodies impact our mood. Um, it, it really impacts how we go from the day to day, what we're putting in our bodies, um, exercise in its most um, general form is very, you know, very helpful um, to kind of reduce stress, to kind of take those negative toxins that may be causing stress around your muscles and your joints and flushing them out. Um, yeah. Something as simple as, 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 as exercise. And so those are, I think, some of the things more along on the, the, the practical sense that I, that I would encourage anybody to do, you know, and this is the right time of year, you know, everybody has their resolutions and wellness is always usually at the front of that. People want to lose weight and things of, of that nature, but your mental health, is impacted by all of that. So your physical health, your your spiritual health, your um, emotional health is all kind of on this wheel, this, this continuum, if you will, and they all kind of play off of each other, which is why you have to continue to fill each cup because we're all playing a lot of different roles here in life and life is challenged and it is hard, you know, so you have to continue to refill those cups and be honest and transparent with yourself first and foremost. So that self-awareness concept coming back again that you had mentioned, I kind of live by that as well. You know, as I know myself, as I know thyself better, I am a better husband. As I know thyself better, I am a better father. So I really do try to check in, you know, with myself in terms of being transparent, like Brandon, something's going on. There's a light coming on in your car. Something's not quite right. You know, and even as a therapist, I'm not opposed to, I get, I get, you know, treat, treatment for myself. I think, you know, we need that. I need that. And I'm honest and very trans, you know, trans, transparent about that. Um, I've heard people in the church say there are times where a pastor needs to be preached to. And I'm of the same mindset. I think a counselor needs to be counseled. You know, you're dealing with a lot of different emotions and people's feelings and then things of that nature. So I, I really do push, you know, that envelope so that people can really give it a try so that we can continue to have conversations like these and people know that there is a lot of really good in that practice to kind of be able to implement. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You uh, really, really helped us understand some practical ways on, and things that we should do, man. Well, 
man, this has been a great episode. This is a conversation absolutely needs to continue to um, happen. I really appreciate your time. Uh, the last question that I always like to ask everybody, even though I feel like in some way they've answered it throughout um, the, the podcast organically, but just if you could sum up, um, what are you doing with your lifestyle today um, that will ensure that you leave a meaningful legacy tomorrow? Oh, wow, that's huge, man. Um, <clears throat> I would say uh, for me, um, I have taken more, I think, of an, of an, of an honest inventory, I think, of, my, of myself, um, especially with starting this, this, this new year. And I think I've really done more thinking about my future, um, whether that's from a, um, a financial standpoint, um, from a, a professional standpoint, as, as well as a personal um, standpoint. I think having a family kind of put me in that mindset of thinking longevity. Um, of thinking what things can I do for my lifestyle that um, that that does leave my kids better than than, than where I began um, what what types of things can I do for my family that kind of leave their offspring in a, in a better place kind of so I'm really thinking more generationally I think that there has to be cycles that have to end and I think I've kind of put myself in the mindset of cutting off a lot of those cycles for myself and, and, and for my family but the big piece of that is being transparent about what those cycles are and what, and what the role is that I play in those cycles and the impact that they have on me and those around me. So I think I'm in that place of, of transition, man. And I'm, I'm really putting my, my family first and everything that I do is really trying to, you know, catapult them. So Awesome, bro. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. You dropped a ton of gems, a ton of value and really helped cultivate a conversation that's very necessary um, within our communities. I appreciate the invite. Definitely. Um, absolutely, bro. So thank you so much for coming on and everybody that's listening until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the legacy and lifestyle show with your host, George action Pong, where you'll learn how to live the life you want today while planning for the legacy you want to leave tomorrow. Purpose, passion, and profit makes sense to me.